0: Today in Flex in the City, we talk to Sandy Begby, CEO of the Scottish Financial Enterprise. Sandy challenges financial services to have the courage to change the recipe to achieve true inclusion. All that happening right now in Flex and the City.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Rachel trees for Flex in the City. This is a podcast all about leadership, in the financial services industry, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have Sandy Begby, who is the CEO of Scottish Financial Enterprise, on the podcast today, all the way from Body, Scotland. Hello, Sandy.
0: Yeah. Good morning, Rachel.
1: Good morning. How, how's the weather today in Scotland?
0: It's it's okay. We're having a we're having a good um, a good spell of weather, so um, we can't complain. We 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 often do, but we can't complain at the moment.
1: Very good. I'm happy to hear it. And I, I'm guessing that you've not been too far afield with the COVID restrictions that we have right now.
0: No, not at all. So, uh, but with, there is some uh, Edinburgh Festival ongoing, so managed to take in some shows. So um, uh, there's a little bit of uh, atmosphere in Edinburgh at the moment, but nothing compared to usual. But it's quite nice to see people here.
1: Great stuff. So, 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 listen. You know, I, I know you like me. Came from a working class background, and you know, you've. You've entered into the financial services in industry, and, and and now you're doing the job you're doing. I'd Love to you know hear a little bit about you and your story and, and how that panned out. Yeah,
0: you're absolutely right, Rachel. I mean, I started. I was born in a working uh, working class council estate uh, in a town uh, called Musselburgh outside of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. I had a fairly uh, uneventful upbringing. I was distinctly average at school. I I didn't dislike school, but I I uh, was one of these people who. Nothing came particularly naturally to me other than geography uh, everything else was a, was a really hard work so I I was very fortunate to be brought up in a family that I, I guess instilled some core values that still uh, you know guide me today so um, and helped me navigate through you know through school but I was never uh, able to or, or could go to university so I like many people in, in the early 80s applied to what was a very large financial services, you know, industry in in Edinburgh, you know, Um, you know, there was all the, all the banks, the insurance companies, et cetera, and who would literally take hundreds of school leavers a a year. So um, as I say, like many people, I applied and and, uh, was successful in joining Royal Bank of Scotland um, in 1983, just um, one week after my 17th birthday. And again, I, you know the, the career path in some ways actually it was it was it provided great clarity actually which for someone joining the industry was was quite um quite refreshing in those days where you simply had to do your bank exams um in order to progress um i didn't have the necessary qualifications um so i had to do various night classes uh, uh, et etc to 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 get to the starting point so to speak uh, and uh, progressed uh, you know uh, thereafter through the branch network et cetera, and qualified in exams. But I think, you know, one thing I learned after qualifying, because I was moved into human resources or personnel, as it was known in those days, uh, and I simply didn't want to go there. I had no desire to go into personnel or HR at all uh, in uh, 1988. But that was a bit of my first main learning point in my life, which was uh, unless you do your research and understand what an opportunity could come from being offered a, uh, you know, a position, then you quite often talk yourself out of uh, uh, these things because you've got perceptions and views as to what it may or may not be. And I joined, uh, as I say, I joined um, HR in 1988. Uh, and then for more or less the rest of my career, have um, have had, you know, very much one foot in HR, a foot in the business, and I've never looked back. So I do sometimes wonder what would have happened if I'd turned down um, uh, the opportunity to go into HR in 1988 and where my career may have ended up. Because I ended up flourishing in 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 human resources.
1: And what did you love about human resources?
0: I think there was um, I I think the the thing I I really took to quite quickly was this idea that you could have a positive impact on people. Mm -hmm. Um, And in some ways, that's been something that's guided me through my career. And also, I have been fortunate to work for some really uh, great leaders. Um, who actually put in time, effort, investment in um, uh, my development. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in HR, I realised, and that hence the reason why I quite relatively quickly I moved into the sort of training development area, was a recognition that you, uh, uh, you know, people can be developed, people can go on to make a bigger contribution, people can be helped to fulfil their potential, whatever that potential is. Um, And I just felt as though it was... um, And as I I then developed through and I did an MBA in the 90s, et cetera, I also realised that HR um, in some ways in those days was viewed as a a sort of something that happened in the corner in organisations, when actually HR really needs to be at the heart of uh, highly effective organisations and high performing organisations. And I lifted a lot of those learnings into uh, then three transformation programmes that I led as well, you know, so... I just, I realised that when I combined my interest in people with a real commercial focus through bank exams and my MBA, I was able to bring something a bit different to the human resources field.
1: Fantastic. And so we, you touched on leadership. Um, you know, was there a leader um, in financial service that, that you, you, you could really say, you know, this leader was an incredible leader or an, a leader that you know in the industry right now? Who, who might you highlight as being a, an amazing leader in the industry?
0: So they, 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 um, as I say, I've been fortunate enough to work with some really, really good leaders and and they've had similar traits around um, supporting development, uh, really trying to get the best out of you, et cetera. But the the one I would call out that did that more than anyone else uh, was uh, David Nish, who was my chief executive at uh, Standard Life when I joined in 2010. David and I had worked together at Scottish Power for a number of years um, Mm -hmm. earlier in my career, where he was uh, the CFO. Um, and we formed a really a really good relationship at that time, and and I was leading the transformation program at Scottish Power, but but David um, he was one of these people who in some ways it was exhausting working for. Uh, he had this mentality which was um, you can always do a little bit better, and you can always get a little bit more out of you. It was it was um, and and he used to use a lot of a lot of sporting analogies. He was a big cyclist still is. And this whole idea of small incremental improvements was something that he firmly, firmly believed in. So, you, you, but you genuinely felt at various points when I was working for him, where you would sit back and say, I've actually managed to achieve something I didn't think was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you had this ability to push you, but not not push you so hard that it put you in a really uncomfortable position pushed you in a way which um, you you actually surprised yourself in terms of what you were able to uh, deliver and he had a tremendous support for development I mean you know in an organization led by David talent management genuinely meant something you know you would have quarterly reviews with him. he would meet every single high potential in the organization uh, at some point during the year as chief executive I mean and and, and you know nothing I used to say nothing puts more focus on your development plan than knowing you're going to meet the chief executive to go through it you know so um but he was doing it because he genuinely believed that great organizations must have uh, as part of their dna supporting people's development um and um it was really powerful mm-hmm.
1: uh, and so as a leader in your own right now sandy what do you stand for as a leader um, how would you describe your own leadership style
0: I think one thing I've, um, and I think this is partly to do with both my upbringing, Rachel, but also um, my own career. One thing I've always held as a core leadership value, uh, and a lot of people say it, but they, don't, they just simply don't do it, is um, uh, I always treat people the way that I would expect to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would never ask someone to do something that I wouldn't, have, wouldn't do or I haven't done. Um, And I think it's, um, I think that's partly to do with, um, as I say, my upbringing and also the way I started my career, which was bluntly as a, you know, as a trainee um, at at 17. And so I learned a trade. And and, and I think this idea of treating people fairly. So people would say that I'm very honest. um, uh, And a lot of these words other people use, but unfortunately, I've seen lots of leaders that just simply don't put them into practice. I'm very honest, I'm I'm, I'm very open, I'm pretty direct, um, but people know exactly where they stand. And the other thing that people say is I'm very, very consistent, which I think is a real core value of a strong leader, a really important value of a strong leader, is that if you're an inconsistent leader, so in other words, in similar situations you behave differently, um, that can be quite disempowering for people because they don't really know how you're going to respond. And what people will say is that, I, am a, I will be extremely consistent in the way that I'll behave, which means that people know exactly you know, um, uh, where I'm coming from, but also they know that they'll get 100% support from me as a leader uh, if they try and do the right thing. So I've always, I've always tried to just um, you know, treat people as people. Um, and, um, uh, and in some ways, the other thing is, as well is I've always tried to build great teams because a leader is only as good as their team. Um, and, uh, and a chief executive in some ways is, a, is the, the sort of highlight of that principle because as a chief exec you've got a team of people who are more expert at their, their discipline than you are and you really need to have that best team around the table so I think that for me those are the things that have guided me um, through my, my career um, and um, I think they've served me in good stead
1: very good. So so another thing Flex and City is all about is attracting young talent to the industry. And I'm really curious to know how you think financial services can, can attract young talent and maybe what you'd say to, to a 21-year-old Sandy Begby who was maybe thinking about joining the industry but has opportunities in gaming and other other sectors.
0: So this is uh, uh, this is where I probably won't, might, might well be a little bit controversial on uh, on this topic because I I think that financial services if you speak to young people and I've I've spent a lot of time in the last twenty years with young people um, on various um, uh, on various programs that we might touch on um, the perception of young people is is still predominantly uh, middle class well educated um, uh, in the main career for Uh, um, people who are university educated or certainly going on to some form of higher education Mm. um, and particularly male dominated Um, and until we change that perception until we genuinely take steps that people can see and can see are visibly driving change we won't be able to attract um, the level of inclusion and young people from a whole variety of different backgrounds that the industry Bluntly, needs to be successful going forward. Um, you know, there are so many different careers now in financial services, whether it's in the cyberspace, tech, data, marketing, you know, customer space. We we need a much broader base of diverse talent than we've ever needed before. But we need to we need to genuinely change the perception of this industry amongst young people, because at the moment um, they've got lots of different choices they can make in schools. Um, and and you know by the time they actually make those decisions on on the type of career they want, financial services have been ruled out for most of them. And I'll give you an exact data point on this, Rachel. In, uh, in Scotland, we did a piece of research with young people around how they viewed financial services. Less than ten percent of them thought it was an attractive career. Yeah, um, yeah. And and that increased substantially where they had a friend or relative who worked in the industry, but where they had no connection with the industry. The number was was around eight percent. Thought that they would even consider a career in financial services, mm-hmm. um, and if you add in certain social economic backgrounds, that number goes even lower.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, 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 your own children—you've got two two girls. Um, do, do they know what you do, Sandy? And, and do they actually care?
0: <laughs> I think, uh, uh, yeah, Great question. I mean, I think. Um, I mean, my eldest daughter's uh, twenty five. Mm-hmm. Is is um, Qualified as in in law, and I think she naturally has um, much more connection, and and has ended up uh, through her um, work as a paralegal ended up being involved with financial services firms. So she's ended up getting some exposure to to um, the industry, and, and therefore has an interest uh, an interest in it. Um, the Youngest one's an engineer, electrical engineer, and and you know on the basis. I don't build anything or fix anything, um, uh, and she's quite environmentally focused. So I'm not really doing anything to help the environment. Then I'm not sure she's overly interested. Um, she's probably more interested in my seven years at Scottish Power, to be honest, uh, when I worked in the energy sector than than uh, financial services. But um, they're both they're both uh, to be fair, um, I, you know, uh, they are they they're both at various points interested in in, in, in what I'm what I'm doing. Um, but do they fully understand it? Probably not.
1: Mm. So just going back to that question about branding financial services and attracting new generations of investors and, and potential employees. You know, if you could wave a magic wand, what needs to happen, Sandy? What, what what do we need to do to change the perception of this industry?
0: I think we we need to really go into grassroots, Rachel. I think we need to, which is what one of the things that we're really focusing on at SFE at the moment, is really taking a strong narrative into school, mm-hmm. um, but also um, starting in school, but also a broader narrative into society.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so I think if, if the question about waving a magic wand, I think it would be about uh, opening the eyes of financial services firms, young people today, but also the broader impact that financial services can have on society. Now, we do have a, a lot of positive impacts on society, but there is still a lot more that we, we could do. But particularly in, in in schools, I think that we need to really start to um, have a narrative, but also career pathways, uh, information, knowledge uh, going into schools uh, for young people to really consider careers in financial services. Uh, and we actually have a pilot at the moment in in, in secondary schools in Scotland uh, right. aimed exactly at that. Um, but we I I, I I was involved in establishing. The Edinburgh Guarantee in 2011, which was aimed at um, reducing the youth unemployment uh, mm. figures in Edinburgh and, and the surrounding areas, which were some of the worst in Scotland on the back of the economic mm. crisis. Um, and it was bluntly, it was about giving unemployed young people six months' work experience.
1: Right.
0: Standard Life was a particularly, um, I would say, organisation that had never really had anything in that space at all. Ever done anything much? Um, but within 12, 18 months. We had managers lining up to take young people, unemployed people, people who you would never have recruited through a normal recruitment process because of what they saw the value that they would bring to the organisation. So I would just challenge the sector to be courageous and, and really look for talent in lots of different areas that they would not normally look for.
1: Wow. And so that, that leads me on to talk about your role at Career Ready, which is a charity where you're the chairman, uh, Sandy. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, that enterprise and what it does and, and you know how it works?
0: So Career Ready is, aims to work with young people, many of whom are at an age around about 15, 16, um, whose uh, direction of travel would suggest that they're probably, they're probably not going to go to university, they may go to college, or they may um, uh, leave school and go direct, direct into some form of employment. Or, uh, likewise, they may also come from a background that will present real challenges for them. Um, so we don't work with the most disadvantaged young people that you would maybe have someone like Bernardo's working with.
1: Uh-huh. But
0: we we work with young people who, unless they're given the support, um, may actually you know fall off the fall off the path. Um, so we will we will um, we run a two year program. Mm-hmm. Um, which involves having an industry mentor or a mentor from industry mm-hmm. uh, for every young person, um, uh, including in that as a four-week work experience in the in the middle summer. Uh, we've put all that online, by the way, because of COVID, so we've continued to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the two years with the mentor because a lot of these young people have difficulty connecting into education at times and may also not have a role model outside of um, school, uh, particularly yeah. at home. So having that role model within industry um, is hugely powerful as we found. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really we're focused on around making sure that those young people end up in a positive place after two years and either going on to further education or into an apprenticeship, or in many cases, the company who they've uh, been with for two years with their mentor, they quite often then also recruit them and uh, may put them into an apprenticeship programme or a training programme or whatever. You know, we 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 work with thousands of young people a year mm-hmm. and um, you know, we're really pleased with the impact that we have. Uh, and it's probably more important now than ever.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a fantastic impact that, that this organisation is having. So you have a CBE, Sandy. And it relates to business and social inclusion. And as you know, I'm passionate about um, social inclusion. So I'm um, very curious to know what social inclusion means for you and, and why you think that's so important for financial services.
0: So I think for me, social inclusion means that, uh, and a lot of this comes back to my, my, my work with young people, uh, yeah. but, it's not, but I think the principle applies to, to um, every age group. Um, it's regardless of background, uh, everyone can see an opportunity for themselves in life. You know, but bluntly, the UK we have a um, a, a core of young people, and uh, you know, a percentage of young people who even during during a, even during strong economic times, um, we still have approximately ten percent of sixteen to twenty four four year olds who are unemployed. Right. Um. And and you know, we um although the headline unemployment number might be four and a half percent, the reality is, is it's far higher for sixteen to twenty four year olds. Uh, and therefore, we spend millions and millions uh, as a country keeping young people unproductive and, and unconnected and bluntly not giving them an opportunity in life. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, social inclusion is about regardless of what your postcode is, where you're born, mm-hmm. you can see an opportunity for you, uh, yourself in life, whatever career you may choose to, to to go down. The reason why that's so important for financial services is is because there is a huge source of talent in there. Um, that if given the right support, nurtured the right way, engaging with third sector on occasions, um, you will find a, a rich vein of talent who will inevitably be more loyal to you. Um, I, I usually have a thirst for learning that is, uh, you know, um, is far stronger than many other groups. Um, they've got a commitment to you. And they, they, the, the biggest thing I've found is the fact that an organisation is expressing confidence in them and actually a belief in them. And actually, in, in some ways, making them empowered to actually contribute is so valuable to them. Uh, and, and a lot of these young people then thrive uh, in, in those environments, as we found with the Edinburgh you know, where over the course of the, a few years, we took over 200 young people um, who, who uh, we would never have recruited. Uh, Rachel, we, we introduced blind recruitment in order to remove any bias around qualifications, uh-huh. etc., and we did that, and we ended up recruiting young people that the recruitment system would have would have thrown out. So companies need to be bold and courageous. Um, but I can assure you that they um, they will benefit uh, hugely on the back of that. So, so for me, social inclusion is just as it says: it is it is true inclusion where uh, uh, people from any background have opportunity.
1: Fantastic. And so, so tell me about your own vision for the Scottish Financial Enterprise. What, what's, what's your vision? What's your purpose um, related to, to that, Sandy? What, what, would you, what impact would you like to have with that organisation?
0: So the Scottish Financial Enterprise is, uh, was founded in, in the 80s, and it was, it was founded on the basis it would be an independent voice for the industry. Uh, and because of the change of the shape of the economy in Scotland uh, over the last 10, 15 years in particular, financial services and professional services are now the largest contributor to the Scottish economy. Uh, in which case, you know, we it's very important that we have a strong vision and a strong voice. Um, you know, we employ over 160,000 people in Scotland. Um, you know, we generate uh, millions in tax receipts um, and we provide a much broader impact on society. So for me, my vision for Scottish financial enterprise is that we are a positive um, influential voice for the industry in Scotland, but also in the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, outside of London, we're the largest financial services industry in uh, in the UK, and it's important that we also engage at a UK level. And then beyond that, of course, Scotland also has been very successful in attracting inward investment from overseas. So uh, at SFE, we're also keen to ensure that we start to influence and have a voice in markets that are really attractive for us uh, overseas. So the vision for SFE, as we announced in May, is about becoming the most respected and influential business group in Scotland and a strong voice at a UK level. Um, In terms of what we're trying to do, we're we're basically trying to Uh, uh, increase our impact on society as a sector. And that that predominantly comes down to four areas around playing our part, which is a major part around the journey to net zero. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything needs funding. So, you know, the industry needs to step up. Um, Secondly is around supporting businesses as they come out of the, uh, or into the economic recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, Third is about making sure as the industry changes, Every citizen in Scotland can be connected with the financial services sector um, or industry um, because, you know, we need to ensure that inclusion includes financial inclusion. So every citizen has that opportunity and and right to to that connection. Mm -hmm. And then finally, is around inclusion um, and recognising that the industry needs a skills, you know, supply platform uh, in order for it to continue to be successful. Um, but that also will, ensuring that skill flow, we will also further advance inclusion in the industry. So those are the four things that if we feel as though we can deliver against, we will have a a bigger impact uh, on uh, society in Scotland.
1: Yeah, I think you will. I think you absolutely will. And so when you're not doing all of this this really valuable work, Sandy, and you're not being a dad, um, what else do you like doing in your spare time?
0: I love running. I, I, I've, it's the it's the kind of one thing that I've um, been doing for probably the last ten years or so. I've done three half marathons. I'm not yeah. saying I'll do another one, but um, I, I've uh, so I do run about three four times a a week. Uh, uh, my wife met uh, Caroline, and I love to travel, which obviously has been a bit curtailed mm-hmm. um, uh, recently. But um, fingers crossed, um, we'll have more things planned over the next uh, year or so. So we do enjoy going to various parts of the world and and just experiencing different cultures. Um, which I've been very fortunate enough to do in my um, uh, my own career, and then the final the final one which I've, I've sort of the, it, it almost grown into in the last five years or so is cooking. Um, so um, uh, and lockdown is a, well people would say it's enhanced my my cooking skills. So um, I love it. I find it a great way to um, disconnect completely. I I, I do always cook with a glass of wine, but that's okay. It seems to enhance my cooking, Um, and I I just love trying different things, and and I love entertaining for people, um, uh, etc. And the the whole uh, process of cooking, I just find in trying different things, I find it just great. It's quite, um, it's relaxing, it's therapeutic, but also gives you a a kind of sense of achievement when when it works out.
1: Um, And so. What would you say that financial services can learn from the art of cooking and what is the special ingredient that we need to add into the recipe?
0: I would say um, it's about trying different things um, and don't just stick to what you know. Uh, You know, i like a lot of people when I first started cooking, you probably have half a dozen or 10 recipes that you always go to. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so you, you stick to what you know. Um, uh, the problem with that is is that you know you end up getting stuck in a rut. Mm-hmm. Um I, and you know, now on a weekly basis I'll try one or two things new that I've never done before, um, which at times scares me. And I do wonder what it's going to taste like. Um, but you know, so far so so good, it seems to it seems to be okay in the main. And I think financial services just need to break away from some of those traditional ways of doing things in order to think differently and try some things out. And you know what, if it doesn't quite work out that's okay um you'll probably learn from it anyway um uh, but also sometimes you'll be really surprised going back to my point about where can you go and find talent and go and go and look in places that you wouldn't normally go and look mm,
1: so add a bit of spice is what i'm hearing
0: secret sauce secret sauce,
1: right? secret, sauce secret sauce very good sandy begby who is the ceo of the scottish financial enterprise i think we have an invitation For the financial services industry to be courageous thank you so much sandy for joining today on flex in the city
0: thanks so much rachel thank you you just listened to flex in the city catch us on our next episode